I want to deal today with uh, the divine means of fleeing sexual temptation. And um, Pastor Rollins reminded me it took him two months, and I'm planning to do it in one morning. It's kind of, I want to unload the gun and say everything I can as quick as I can. But look at verse 18. We passed it as we were developing this section. But the very passage, he's saying to a very immoral city and people that came out of, believe me, in an immoral culture, he says something that was radical for the day. Flee from sexual immorality. They had never fled in their life. There was nothing in the culture that said flee. Uh, there was not a Judeo-Christian ethic about sexuality in Corinth. It was pagan, pagan. Do it whenever you want, however you want, wherever you want. No boundaries. So now when he says flee, this is radical. This is radical. Then I think of what he told a young pastor in 2 Timothy chapter 2 uh, that is, and I think sometimes we forget this as we uh, get old and get arthritis and can't imagine misbehaving too much. Look at 2 Corinthians, or Timothy 2, 22. Flee the evil desires of youth. Now, that could be a wide range of them, but one of the big ones we all know is this sexual hormonal uh, drive that kicks it at youth. You get drives and desires and passions. Where do I go with them? What do I do with them? And, of course, the exploitation of youth uh, by the media, uh, they're, they're feeding it. But it says flee, and I would take sexual temptations, one of the big ones, the evil desires of youth, and get this, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Um, I, looking up some different articles on this matter of uh, uh, even infidelity in marriage, you would be amazed. I've got three pages of stats uh, on infidelity statistics that anywhere they range, uh, and this is a 10-year-old study, uh, that in married couples... In this study, it said that 60% of married men will be unfaithful and 40% of married women. So infidelity, uh, and it's quite interesting, has all kinds of stats that you seldom marry the person you have the affair with, but you have it anyway. So unfaithfulness in marriage, which is a thing that you think, once I get married, my battle in this area is over. And yet the eyes of man are never satisfied. You still are not done with this temptation. Of course, youth are saying, if I were only married or if I just move in together, if I had some access, uh, that's all I need. And that's what many are doing. 
But here's the radical thing that we want to look at, and it's, it's the uh, uh, biblical approach, is that these things Paul is writing, remember this, he's writing to believers in Christ. He's not writing to the unsaved population of Corinth. Because you can't live morally, I don't think. You may be some other restraints, fear, cultural setting. But he knows with this group, morality will never be a part of your life unless Christ is a part of your life. And, and so he's not teaching them morals without Christ. He's teaching them you've come to Christ, and this is the moral way God wants you to behave in this area. So we must be sure. If we can load kids up with morals all day, they don't have the power nor the desire. It's what they need, first of all, is a new heart. They need Christ in their life to even have the motive and the sincere desire. Uh, take uh, 50 years ago, you had neighborhoods, aunties, uncles, and them around you that reinforced certain moral standards, and there was expectations there that has fallen all over this country. That, that moral fence, that moral boundaries don't exist. Uh, it's broken down because the parents have thrown morals, many of them, in their youth to the wind. So uh, these are people that he calls saints who have been set apart. So we're talking to saints today. Uh, if you're here and a non-believer, uh, most of what I have to say, you just have to endure because I don't want to live that way. I was reading some articles that said uh, that they could buy everything about Christianity except sexual morality. It's out of step with the times. Cannot imagine uh, anyone having prohibitions about sexuality. And so uh, I reject it on that ground. The cross is fine as long as I can keep being free in this area. And so he's really, his assumption is that I'm writing to believers uh, and I want to correct something in the notes, right at the bottom on, on uh, page one. The body of believers is now <clears throat> a, reply, a re residing place for the Spirit. Uh, the word not is in there, but it should be now. The body of believer is now a residing place for the Spirit. So Paul goes on to say, you've been bought. The Spirit indwells you. And when God saves you, Get this in our mind. When he saves you, he saves your body too. And we have this dichotomy. I gave my heart to Jesus. Well, what did you do with your body? Well, it, it's still over here in sin. Uh, well, he saved my soul. Oh, is that right? What, your soul's over here. Where is your soul? He saved you. You're a whole unity, material, immaterial. He saves people, right? And so when he saves people, he doesn't just save souls. He saves whole human beings. And to say, honey, I give you my heart, but you can't have my body. No, the heart is apart from the whole. No, the body. And this is what he said so strongly. The body belongs to God right there. Flesh and bone, human nature. God saves human beings, not parts of them. All of them. And that is a radical theology that came to them. But know this. 
Did God save you? If he saved you, he gets all of what makes up you. That includes the body, and he's having to say it over and over. Well, let's get going here, lest we be here. I don't have enough time. Let's see some ways to flee immorality. Look at uh, Romans. Give you a theological basis for what to be doing with our body. He says in Romans 1 through 10, the believer has been placed into Christ. He's been united with Christ. And he says, because that's true, he tells them how to respond to it. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Count yourself as a dead man to the sin within you, to the sinful desires, sin principle. Now watch. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. I think you need to learn to daily start your life by saying, Father, here's my body. Because I've been united with Jesus Christ, you want my body. As I used it in unrighteousness, and he'll say this in the rest of the chapter, I now yield it to you to be used for your righteous use. And this needs to go on daily. I think this is an attitude. Whose body is it? Yours or the one who purchased you? And when you see God as the owner and that he's come into you, you've been joined to Christ, he wants you in your mind, I reckon that I have been truly united with Christ, and the way I'm going to reckon on that and respond to it is, I will talk to my body, talk to myself, and say, this body belongs to God. It's for divine use. You've got to talk. Do you talk to yourself? And I'm not talking to those over 70. You, the Christian life is learning to talk to yourself. You've got to talk to yourself uh, all the time because you're a split person here. There's the there's a sin principle. There's the uh, ego. And you're having these conversations. You get discouraged. You've got to tell your heart to be encouraged. The heart tells you a bad attitude, a bad whatever. You've got to talk to yourself. Do you ever just take your... Uh, your thought life by the throat, and you say, that's wrong. Talk to yourself. Don't let temptation, Luther said, let temptation and bad thinking be as a bird flying over your head, but don't let it build a nest in your mind. You've got to talk to yourself, and that's where he carries this out uh, in other places that you're not only, while you're giving your body to the Lord, guess what happens? Then you're able to secondly walk by means of the Spirit. Walking by the means of the Spirit, all, I, all of my background, all these formulas for how to be filled with the Spirit, as I understand it, I reckon on the fact I'm in Christ 
and by faith, I'm going to rely on him, and I'm going to take all of God's commands as a promissory note that he will enable me to do what he commands. If there's no power to do it, I'm under law. But I'm not under law. I'm under the guidance of the Spirit, and all I've got to do is hear, my body's yours, I'm yours to obey, but you have to be the power that enables. And so when a bad thought, when a, a, a bit on my body, look at Romans 8.13. What he tells you to do with different sinful desires. If you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. And it literally says you're about to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Notice that. By the Spirit, you put to death misdeeds. Misdeeds. Uh, I'm going to just keep you flipping here. I gave you notes, extensive notes, because I wanted you to refer to this. Look at Colossians, the same kind of thing, 3.5, where he says, put to death. Therefore, whatever things belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, put it to death. You've got to be kidding. No, I'm not. Impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry because the wrath of God. I am told to be putting to death certain desires, certain thinking. How do I do that? I think it's the idea of that uh, as I'm walking in reliance on the Spirit, that as these evil things, desires pass through my mind, and I think of this, something that's wrong, at that point, you simply say, that's evil, you judge it for what it is in your mind. You're talking to, God, that's a sinful idea. That's a sinful thought. That's a sinful use of my body. And because I belong to Christ, I refuse, I'm unavailable, and by means of the Spirit, I'm going to choke it to death, as it were. I say no. I say no in the power of the Spirit, recognizing I'm united with Christ, recognizing I'm indwelt by His Spirit. I just simply take a dead man's approach. I'm not available for sin. I take a dead man's stance. When it comes to sin, my body is dead. It's not available. Now, here's something you've got to know and understand. Romans 6 assumes that sin remains in you, but it is never to reign over you. And that's, I think, a lot of sloppy theology today. Christians almost get the feeling, I'm always enslaved to sin. That's the normal Christian life. No, it's not. Union with Christ breaks the reign of sin. It is not to lord it over the believer's body. But it remains there, and it keeps coughing up bad thoughts. Matthew 15, the heart. Immoralities, adulteries, and on and on and on. And all this gunk keeps coming up to our mind, even in your dreams. So what do you have to do? You've got to confess what's sin. You've got to name it. And by relying on Christ, say, in my mind, I'm putting to death these deeds constantly in a day, shooting it down, 
shooting this thought down. Don't let it build a nest in your head. So we have to deal with this constantly. This is a theological founding. I'm in Christ. I have the Holy Spirit. I have the divine power to obey whatever he tells me. Otherwise, he's commanding me to fly without giving me the power. He will not tell you to do what he doesn't promise to enable you to do. We have to believe that. We have to believe that for that young convert that's breaking with all the patterns of sin. Is there enough power in the gospel? Is there enough power to give a poor sinner the strength to break the chains of sin? If not, uh, our gospel is not good news. It's a sign up for a morality uh, program of just grit your teeth and stay in there and see how long it takes you to fail. And it won't take long. You can't live by rules. It, if they could, the law would have succeeded. It slays us. It shows you that holy standards always prove you're unholy. So God gave us good news in Christ. He bought at the cross the power of the Spirit to enable you to overcome all these desires and deeds that come from the sin principle. I wish you believed that. If not, we're, we don't want anybody to get saved because they get saved to frustration. There's no power. Uh, you're still a slave, but now you're miserable. You can't enjoy sin like you used to. You barely enjoy God because you're in a little bit of sin, a little bit of God. You're so, you used to be able to be all out sin and, hey, just enjoy it. No. The new life has been a life of righteousness based upon the work of Christ. He saves us from the power of sin, not just the penalty. We must say that, and Romans 8 emphasizes that. So this is a theological thing that uh, I probably need to move on, but it, it sets your life free. When you say, does God control sin by legalism? No, by the Holy Spirit. Uh, then I think, thirdly, you need to beware. Guard your heart. Jeremiah said the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. That if you bind Satan for a thousand years in the millennium, people still sin. If there were no devil around, you'd still sin. Just you is uh, enough sin. Do you know that? If we threw you on an island, we couldn't keep you from sinning. Because the heart, see, and that's a tough thing when you say flee immorality. How do I flee my own heart? You know, flee, but I want to do it. Well, if you want to do it, you will do it. We're assuming that you've been born again and that you have temptations, that you're vulnerable, but in your heart, God's giving you a heart to want to please him. Show me the path. Give me the wisdom how I uh, the new life in Christ, how I can avoid these pitfalls. And the thing I think you must always be aware of, if you don't think you can, you will. Let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. And then right after the pride issue, he gives us a promise. God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted 
beyond what you are able, but he will make a way of escape that you may bear it. Now, we ask ourselves this. If God makes a way of escape, why do so many of us fall? If God makes a way of escape, why do so many of us fall? You don't know of any Christians ever fell into a life of immorality, do you? The laughter is saying, you got to be kidding. My own vocation, pastors. It's, uh, it's heartbreaking. Uh, we can teach it to others and hear over I think of two, two of the greatest men in the Bible, two of the greatest men in the Bible, a single named Joseph, not married, no access to a woman. God keeps him, and he flees. And King David, who had about 16 wives in the harem at that time, they couldn't all be having a headache the same night. Sixteen. And he takes another man's wife. This does not make sense. You surely cannot be sexually frustrated, David. How can it be? And one of our great heroes, and Joseph, one flees. He fears God. All the odds are against him. And why shouldn't he? Why should he not have done it? He says, how can I do this thing against God? And then we've got David over here, a, a man of God, Joseph didn't write any psalms, but David did. Why did he not take the way of escape? So that makes all of us tremble in a moment. That's why I think he says flee sexual temptation. Satan you resist, but sexual temptation you run. So I recommend to young believers to always buy a brand new pair of running shoes. Learn to run run. You can't negotiate with sexual temptation. You must run. You must flee it as much as you can. So, let's keep on here. Guard your heart. Uh, uh, be sure that you're not making provision to carry out some scheme. Make no provision to carry out the desires of the sin nature. And when it says provision, that means forethought. You've thought it through. Uh, you'd be amazed at how many people, uh, they may not physically have an affair, but they have an emotional affair. They fall in love with a secretary at the job. They fall in love with another Christian co-worker. Uh, all of these things with the mind. Uh, they make sure that we're that person, that type thing. You, the heart is tricky. It says, let's not make any provision to do uh, the deeds of the flesh. Uh, guard the associations you make. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 15. We have 14, but it's 15.33. This is a, a powerful verse that I don't hear a whole lot, but listen, just a one line, Paul's quoting it, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Um, you got to be careful who you hang out with. Um, and this is especially hard for young people. That's the thing. Who, give me somebody that's living it. I, I, I mean, I know I raised my children in this church, uh, raised grandchildren here. 
And they'll look around and say, oh, you don't know what's going on among young people. You don't know this. You don't know that. And, and, and thank God I don't. Uh, where? Who can? Uh, I have to say my trek. Uh, I often, uh, someone said, hey, how did you like high school? I said, some of the loneliest times in my life. Very lonely for me at school. Why? Because I was living for God. Um, in the midst of a bunch of pagans. Uh, I, I could not hardly hang out with anybody I grew up with. Uh, I didn't know of over five Christians in the school of about 3,000 kids. Um, hey, it, it was very, very lonely, and it's some of the toughest time for those young people that really want to obey God and walk with him. Because who do I associate with? And... Uh, I personally, I grew up with a lot of people much older than me uh, because they were the Christians. It wasn't the youth group. My youth group, we had 15 kids at the most. So I, where? Who do you run? It's a tough time. That's why we ought to be very kind to young people and, and singles and encourage them. And, and uh, you know, it's a couple's culture. Widows feel this, that they always were invited when there was a couple, but once the woman becomes a widow, she says she's not invited. <clears throat> Very awkward. We don't, we don't need a third spoke. And we can make singles feel, you know, what, what's wrong with you? Or you don't quite, couples culture. Uh, that's what I think is the problem with generational gaps. We ought to be blending all the time. We're a family, one whole family looking out for each other not just singles church. We're not a singles church. We're a church. Uh, we're not just a seniors church, not just a youth church. A lot of the pressure on pastors is always to preach to the young generation, ignore the other three generations. No, 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 no. We're a family. And in my family, I got them from two years of age to 80 years of age. Now, which ones am I to pay attention to? All of them. Well, which one has value? And how about in the body of Christ? Do you have to be in a marital status to have value? Oh, you're a widow. Oh, well, you're used up. Who? Oh, please, please, please. 1 Timothy 5 says, give kind consideration to widows in the church. But when you, everything's oriented to the young, the new, the better, uh, we are fools to follow such a drummer. Um, guard who you hang out with. Uh, and I think this is really tough in the marketplace. When everybody's going for an afternoon cocktail and, and the guys are going to lunch with gals that are secretaries that they're not married to, and you're thrown into that, this is one of the tough things our men have faced or have to travel on the road, being in mixed company, everybody else is doing their thing. Uh, you, you must be careful of who you hang out with uh, I want to say this, uh, and uh, Donna has often mentioned this to me, uh, that no one taught her about this 2 Corinthians 6.14. Don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Uh, I, I would say to singles, and I wish the place was packed with young people, uh, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? 
But what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Now, this is talking about when you want to form a union. You know, we're going to form, we're going to unite on something. We all live in a government that is not run by Christians, right? I mean, we got to be around unbelievers all the time. But if you're going to form a contracts or union, religiously, and I would say deep relationship, I don't think it says we can't be kind and good to unbelievers. What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. So he lays down this principle, don't be joining up, making unions with anything that's contrary to Christ, whether it's religious, he's taking on idol worship, whether whatever kind of organization. I wound up around separatist Baptist, and they, they had a, a right view that they were against ecumenical evangelism. Do we bring unbelievers together with believers to do an evangelism effort? And the separatists were there and says, no, we can't join up because only believers ought to be trying to reach unbelievers. And many issues with that. But here, I think of how many of our young people, and even singles, when it comes to courtship and love, I'm amazed at how many even older Christians throw off all biblical commands. Uh, in this area, there is, is as though the Bible has nothing to say. Don't avoid in the dating days and in the eligibility. And then you're going to say, well, uh, I don't see any eligible ones. Well, maybe God's going to have to make one for you. Uh, you know, we used to have cruel sayings when I was at Western about girls. That we used to say that, 90% of all women were beautiful, and the other 10% went to Western. You know, it, it was just to be cruel to the girls, you know. And uh, uh, I, I hear this in youth groups. There's nobody there that I'd ever want to look at. Why does God send all the scorched cats to our youth group? I'm looking for some fine material. Well, I didn't marry a gal from my youth group. I met a gal from another youth group uh, 30 miles away. God can connect you if you consider him. Don't make a yoke. Carol and I, we were just kind of rehearsing uh, uh, on our anniversary. What has been the glue? What, what, what have been the things that uh, made our hearts adhere to one another? And more than anything would be found in a romantic novel, it was Jesus Christ, his will. Uh, uh, we both were thoroughbred Christians. Uh, we wanted to please the Lord. We wanted to serve. And we've had a common goal, a common purpose. A, a, and that has held, that, that's been greater and has been the catalyst for all other love, for all other commitment. It's Christ becomes the glue. You're supposed to glue, but through every storm, every wind, babies, death of loved ones, finances, no finance, whatever. It, it, when you're saying, we're in this thing, we formed a union to pursue a cause. 
it, it, uh, someone, instead of saying, well, my wife doesn't go to church with me, my husband won't go, which many mixed marriage people deal with, it, it's a great burden. So watch that. Um, I would say guard your eyes. Guard your eyes. He says in Matthew 5, something startling. Uh, the law had said you shouldn't commit adultery. Well, that's, that's fair enough, right? But there's, uh, there's no harm looking, or is there? Verse 27 of Matthew 5, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Uh, it sounds fairly radical. Radical cure. Uh, is he saying, do not look at a beautiful woman? No. No, he didn't say that. It's how you look at her. I mean, beauty needs admirers. And so I tell my wife, that's a beautiful woman. I mean, is that, did I sin? He did. But what happens, the eyes, it quickly can go from the eyes to the inner desire. And all of a sudden, the video starts going in your mind. And you can go beyond a look, sight, perception, to an agenda. And so, there's different translations uh, for this word here. If we look for the intended purpose of lusting, we'll have you to lust. Now, uh, was Playboy written so that you might look or that you might lust? See, they want to turn the look into lust. Pornography, a look that leads to lust and in the pornography world, I just read a book on the pornography industry and how men are wired for sight, uh, tells that people are having a whole surreal uh, sex life, seeing an image that doesn't know them. There's nothing going on in between except sight, lust, and that is their, their whole sexuality. And so Christ says, beware of what we do with our eyes and more than what our eyes see, what goes on in the heart, we cannot look on a woman lustfully. That's the idea. Now, if you read Merle F. Unger's Bible dictionary, other Bible dictionaries, the Pharisee was so radical here, they developed a group known as the Bleeding Pharisees because they kept themselves blinded so much, they would walk into walls and they were bleeding all the time. Now, you could I guess you could pluck out your eyes. And what he's really saying there, hyperbole, take radical measures, take radical measures to eliminate the stimuli if you can't control the lust. And that's why I think some of you guys, you don't even need to have a, a internet access. You don't need it. Get away. Flee. Flee. It's not just the person, but the access. 
Have we ever heard? We're a culture that to say flee seems to be weak. Why don't you just admit you're the one that's weak and you take precaution to flee? You know, I've seen people with canes uh, and uh, uh, especially as they get older, are they? Uh, I've had to use a cane after back surgery, and I don't want to use a cane. Don't want to use a cane. Why? Pride, age issue, and, and eventually a cane looks real good. You have a hip surgery. You have an ailment, something to get your An aid is just great when you're really in pain and you give up your pride. Hearing aids. Oh, I, I don't want a hearing aid. When's the last time you heard us talk? I what would you say? pride. And so watch for yourself. Flee. Whatever it takes for you to flee, whatever you feel vulnerable. And at different phases of life, it may be a higher level, lower level. That's what I, I, I it's tragic to me, all the technology that's in the hands of young people, because I know of all the garbage that's being filtered to them. Not filtered, just pumped into them. Garbage in, garbage in, and, and we don't seem to, and, and I do a one-month series on sex, and folks are saying, oh, I'll sure be glad when it's over. Guess what? When I finish this series, the sex empire won't be done. And they don't get sick, and they don't get infections and, and lay down for a week. They're loud and clear 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and they want us because they want money. They can get money from sex. And so we in the church say, it's a radical counter-revolution that Christ wants your body for something more than sexual exploitation or anything that brings pain, that shatters homes, that break up lives. Well, I think another thing, guarding your ears. Uh, uh, I think of Genesis 3, our whole problem started to what we were listening to. Adam and Eve listened to the serpent wasn't the eye gate. They listened to his message. And go ahead and do it. You won't die. And then I think of Ephesians. There must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Should a Christian listen to rap? Christian rap, whatever. I haven't heard much of it. But, I mean, should, uh, do you have any convictions about what you listen to? If the message is evil, should you be listening? If it's trashing women, as I understand it, your mother is a woman. I know we have gender mix-ups here, but most mothers are women. Your sister's a woman. Your daughter's a woman. And when they're calling her a whore all the time, and you're listening to this, and this entertains you? No, no, we're accountable for the garbage that we allow in our ears. You know, even like gossip, if you want your ears cluttered with garbage, help yourself. I was talking with someone that said, well, boy, uh, talk about being with pastor. I, I don't want to be with pastor. That's great, especially if you've got garbage. Don't invite me out. If you've got something good to say about God and his word, well, you live in a, a, a world you don't even know what's going on. Oh, don't mess, honey. I know. But I want to hear what's good, what builds up. What's pure? What's godly? I'm surrounded in a cesspool of sin. How can we escape it, any of us? But 
in our minds, I want to guard my ears, I want to guard my eyes, because I just think I'm capable of doing something wrong. How about you? That was the first thing I had to learn as a Christian. Don't ever think you won't do it. And that made me have to rely on the Lord and do a lot of running, do a lot of running. Well, uh, I would say uh, uh, pursue the right in your flight from immorality. I, I love that in Timothy. It's one thing to uh, not want to do the negative. Uh, and I think sometimes we do this with young people and singles. Don't do the negative. Don't do the negative. And we've got the elephant in the tent all the time. We're always talking about sexual immorality. And well, Wait, wait. Timothy, pursue faith, love, righteousness. One of the greatest ways to flee sexual temptation is to pursue godly things. Turn your energies into the right thing. Why don't you get active in serving? Why don't you get active in children's ministry? Help our youth pastors. Get active. Take that energy and turn it into that which is good. That I'm not just going to stand around and say no, 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 no. No, I'm saying no to this that I could say yes to pursuing the living God. I, I saw that in my own family. My daughter came back uh, from Kauai and uh, had gone through the trouble she went through. Uh, she came home, and we were, had Erica in the home with us and growing up. Uh, what Deborah did, she poured herself into a singles group over at Community Bible in Vallejo, and they were a great blessing to her. And uh, she poured herself into the youth group, was kind of Ted's music person and helped there, poured herself into it and out. She's working for Kaiser and every, always in ministry. Friday night was the singles ministry over at Community. And uh, uh, all that was going on. And one day she said, uh, you know, Mom, she said, uh, the way I feel, I don't know if that I'll ever get married. I'm so fulfilled in serving the Lord. And then they had some kind of uh, uh, charade youth rally down here that Sean marched in. We thought he's marching for young people. He's looking for a wife. And, and everything else is downhill from there, you know. But, but she was just fulfilled. And instead of this, I can't, I can't live without a man. I don't know what I'm going to do without a man. No, 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 no. Pursue positively. What are you doing? I think of Katie. She was pursuing her education, pursuing to fit herself for ministry. And in the midst of that, God brings a Greg into her life. But she was, she was on a track already pursuing God, not just standing around wondering if anybody's going to pay attention. Sure, I would like to be married. Would like to, but I would say to that single, uh, it's not just saying no, it's pouring yourself into the service of the Lord, and you'll be amazed at what he does for you. Uh, and then finally, guard the marriage you're in. And uh, I say that in light of we have marriages right now in trouble and all over the country. The statistics that I printed off are so depressing, I did, decided not to read them to you. Uh, but, uh, you know, 
Irma Bombeck wrote a book, The Grass is Greener Over the Septic Tank. Well, it'd be a lot better if we'd say, the grass is greener where I water. Uh, there are seasons in every marriage, seasons in life, young love. Uh, we got married in a fever. We went to Jackson Town, hotter than a pepper. Well, let me tell you, about the 25th anniversary, we got married on an iceberg, and uh, we're eating ice cream or something like that. I don't know. Uh, there's different seasons. There's seasons, uh, needs, uh, children, health issues. Uh, and to measure any marriage or to measure love just by this one standard is to be fooled. It, it's, you married a person. Uh, we're committed to a person not just to one aspect. Uh, it's a part of the whole. And uh, years ago, uh, I did a marriage for Scott Thompson, uh, who was graduating from Dallas Seminary, and uh, one of our boys, marrying John's grandson, and married a young Greek girl. And uh, at that wedding, he wanted me to read Plato's Symposium at the close. And I've used it ever since. It's so powerful. Listen to what he says here. A base man is that common lover who loves the body rather than the soul. He is not lasting, for he loves a thing not lasting. For when the flower of the body fades, which what he loved he takes to the wing and will break any number of vows and promises. <clears throat> but the love of a good character remains fulfilled throughout life for it's fused together with a lasting thing. Character never ages, never gets wrinkles, never becomes decrepit. Character is good at 25 as it is at 95. Love a person Look for a person with character. I'd be saying this to young people looking. Find somebody with character, somebody that their body belongs to Christ. Well, I must stop. I want to thank you, saints, for your patience and uh, uh, setting through a month of this, you know. Uh, we haven't gone berserk. We just thought because of the text and the delicate issue Let's at least speak uh, long enough and consistent enough that God's not against sex when it's in the place he designed it for. And he wants to keep you moral by God's standard, not the culture's. The culture is going to hell in a basket. And we're trying to reach those people. We love people who do not know Christ. But you've been called to be holy to a different standard, with different power, different purpose. Father, take us with your blessing. Meet with us tonight as we try to address issues that may be uh, gnawing at the heart of Christians and they don't know where to turn, don't know where to get an answer. Let us be sensitive, honest, biblical, and even in the midst of this subject, let us be Christ-honoring, and get all of our ethics at the foot of the cross. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. God bless you.